Discover over 100 episodes of Bartholomew Town on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Well, I think a lot of the work that's been done, uh, you know, by the governor and the Commerce Department in bringing businesses in has been extremely positive. I think what we've also done in infrastructure is uh, we're well positioned and we continue to get a lot of finance. It is really about quality of life investments uh, that do address both economic development, jobs, uh, recreation, a number of things that go on in the state, clean water, obviously. Welcome in to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. On today's episode, I sit down with the executive director and CEO of the Rhode Island Infrastructure Bank, Jeff Deal. And as always, great to spend some time together here on the pod. Yes, autumn has officially arrived here in southern New England. Well, I guess it's arrived everywhere in the northern hemisphere, but it's like 80 degrees out, a beautiful Rhode Island afternoon as I speak to you from the Bartholomew Town Podcast Studios in Providence and an interesting conversation on tap for today. Jeff Deal, who is the CEO and executive director of the Rhode Island Infrastructure Bank. And if you're like me and most Rhode Islanders, you're probably not even sure what the Rhode Island Infrastructure Bank is. So that is laid out in detail here in this episode. We also preview the upcoming Rhode Island Infrastructure Summit. Now, that's coming up on September 26th. It's open to the public. And look, when we talk about Rhode Island's present, the future, all these conversations that we've been having together over the last uh, year or so. No doubt about it, infrastructure, it's a core component. It's a frequent complaint in terms of legacy issues here in the ocean state. And look, as Rhode Islanders, I think we have a right to know, is the state preparing for the infrastructure that we'll need down the line, maybe even sooner down the line than we anticipate when it comes to new technologies? Look, automated vehicles, runways, who knows what, but certainly just on the baseline level, in terms of bridges and the facilities that we use on a day-to-day basis. So all of that discussed and more with Jeff Deal. Stick around. All right, great news. Elmwood Songwriters Club, presented by Bartholomew Town, is back, held right here at the Loft in Providence, and the next edition is Friday, October 11th at 7.30 p.m. Now, this is a free event that features a variety of Rhode Island songwriters from different backgrounds, different genres, performing short, intimate sets, again, right here at the Loft. And the best part is I'm the host. Well, that's not the best part. The best part of that, the aspect of it that's great, is that I draw the order of performers at random. So you never know who's coming next. Everyone's on their toes. And there's always a lively discussion, refreshments, all sorts of entertainment for you right here at the Loft. And by the way, there's plenty of parking. We have a gigantic lot here. No meters. None of that business. Right off the highway to Elmwood Avenue, to the loft for Elmwood Songwriters Club. Again, the next edition, October 11th, 7.30 p.m. Now, the best way to keep up on the lineup and other details about Elmwood Songwriters Club, follow the pod on Instagram at Bartholomew Town Podcast. It's Elmwood Songwriters Club, presented by Bartholomew Town, October 11th. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Bill Bartholomew. Okay, let's get right to it. My conversation with Jeff Deal. Yeah, we're really excited about the summit. This is going to be our third year. Uh, we started it at our expense uh, uh, three years ago to really highlight infrastructure in the state. Uh, we bring a number of different public and private sector experts, both from within the state as well as outside, uh, to come and address a variety of issues and think about solutions and innovations in driving uh, infrastructure investment forward in the state of Rhode Island. And that's not only, you know, in terms of internal with, within Rhode Island, but also the idea that Rhode Island can serve as, I guess, a pipeline regionally, nationally, and globally with our ports and other 
aspects of our transportation infrastructure. No, that's exactly right. And, you know, both, uh, I think a big challenge that uh, many communities have in Rhode Island in particular is how do we bring businesses here uh, to hire people? Uh how do we get the infrastructure in place to make that economic development move forward? And certainly, as you said, the ports are an important part of that. Right. Even thinking now, I just heard on last week's A Lively Experiment, of course, this was so two weeks ago, A Lively Experiment, Ted Nisi, they were discussing the airport, some of the airlines cutting back services. What are some of the other kind of core areas that the, that the summit will address? Is it is it bridges and physical things you can put your hands on, basically? It's a lot of different things. I mean, it is really about quality of life investments uh, that do address both economic development, jobs, uh, recreation, a number of things that go on in the state, clean water, obviously. Um, we also try to make the, the panels uh, relevant to what's happening today. So a lot of the panels are addressing opportunity zones, again, uh, trying to bring investment into certain parts of the state, especially investment from outside of the state. That's really important. Uh, Resiliency and climate change, which, of course, is very important when we've got hurricanes. Fortunately, we got missed by this last one. Um, Also, school construction. That's a very important thing, uh, both with regards to residents here as well as businesses coming in. And uh, also uh, clean energy, which continues to be a common theme, including the wind industry as an economic uh, development driver here in the state. Fascinating that wind is now right at the heart of this discussion. It seems like Rhode Island is kind of positioning itself to be a global leader in that area. Some would argue we already are because of the five that we have off of of Block Island. Um, How much of new technology, I guess, things that are you know, that maybe wouldn't have been talked about a year or two ago are is kind of on the agenda for this year's summit. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's going to be a very important part of it. Um, as you said, I mean, you know, when you're the first in the country to have something, uh, you have a little bit of an advantage. Uh, you know, Massachusetts obviously also is positioned themselves a number of years ago. And so there's a little bit of, of catch up that we have to do. But I think we've got a lot of focus, uh, you know, from the governor's office and uh, a variety of other players in the state to, to drive that business forward and, uh, you know, be a center of uh, innovation here in the country. Who are some of the panelists at this year's summit? Well, we're really excited about, uh, you know, the, the panels overall, but I think we've also got some great keynote speakers. So we've got uh, President Paxson from Brown will be uh, addressing as a keynote. We also have Henry Cisneros, who was uh, formerly the mayor of San Antonio, did a lot of work there in infrastructure, was also the secretary of housing and urban development, and, and now is a, a private sector investment banker with Siebert Cisneros and Shank, uh, women and minority-owned business, and uh, uh, they've developed a new infrastructure fund. So it'll be very good to hear from him. We also have the mayor of Annapolis coming to talk about climate resiliency as an economic uh, uh, economic development tool. And so we're really excited about uh, having all of them participating. Commerce Secretary Pryor will also be speaking about economic development and how they're trying to drive infrastructure as well. So. Sure, I can think of the new bridge, the new pedestrian bridge as, as an example of that and the whole Wexford Opportunity Zone. Is that something that is going to kind of be put on a pedestal for the rest of the, 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 the country to see that what we've done here in Providence and Rhode Island so far, and then also kind of where that plan is going with the the, I, the 195 land down downtown Providence. Yeah, that'll be a, a number of things that we're talking about. <clears throat> we're also going to be talking about a lot of those uh, infrastructure projects that people don't think about and, and look. 
And one of the more important things, I think, is also in the resiliency and climate change, severe weather, is how do we protect the infrastructure that we have? And that's going to be, I think, a very important topic. It's certainly a, a strategic focus for the infrastructure bank. Is this open to the public or how does this, is this ticketed? you know, through a certain infrastructure, I guess. It is uh, it is open to anyone. Uh, you can register at uh, our website, uh, riib.org, rib.org. Um, you know, we have over 275 people registered already. We had between three and 400 last year. Um, so we've got pretty good interest uh, from a variety of different people. And the dates specifically? September 26th, the uh, registration opens at 8. Uh, the program starts at 9. It lasts till about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Nice. So a nice compact day. Yes. Probably have a lunch in there somewhere. Yes, we do. Nice. <laughs> there are refreshments provided. Awesome. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about the, the Rhode Island Infrastructure Bank, the process by which stuff happens. I mean, that's something that is, is lost on anyone who doesn't look too deeply at it. I mean, you can think about bonding and all, all this, that, and the other, and the direct uh, earmarks for certain projects or whatever it may be. But how does the Infrastructure Bank work? Um, what is the process? Do you basically have a pile of money that you make a decision how, to, how it's going to get dished out, or do you have to adhere to specific, whether it's legislative or voter referendum-oriented-demanded protocols? How does that all work? Well, we're, we, we view ourselves as a central hub of local infrastructure investment, and we're focused on four different areas, um, and by extension, uh, a, a fifth. The first is water. We've been doing it, uh, you know, we've been around for 30 years. It's our 30th anniversary, so uh, the summit is also a celebration of that as well. Uh, so it's water, drinking water, clean drinking water, uh, what we call clean water, which is effectively wastewater. Um, <clears throat> we've got municipal roads and bridges, uh, clean energy, both in the uh, municipal space as well as in uh, the commercial space, and then we've got brownfields. And we've recently... Uh, uh, had our authorities uh, uh, expanded into broader resiliency. And so we're looking at how that will happen. We do, each of those different areas has separate sources of capital. You know, we're not guaranteed by the state. We're not a line item budget. Uh, we operate independently. Uh, but we've got certain capital that, that runs those different spaces. And uh, uh, we've got projects that fit within those. We also have some other things that where we, we uh, lend money to homeowners to remediate cesspools, fix septic systems, or tie into a local sewer line. Uh, and we've also uh, partnered with Providence Water to set up a lead pipe remediation program that's interest-free. Right. I can think in North Kingstown, wasn't there a large-scale project to kind of convert in Wickford to a sewer away from from cesspools is that's like you have your hands in something like that is basically yeah we were we were uh, we funded that project okay. um, and that is a lot of what we do so that's you know it's not only uh, uh, an environmental project of looking to clean up uh, that space and make it much more efficient to keep the bay clean but it's also an economic economic driver you know if you've got sewers you can do different things. Uh, restaurants can grill steaks and grill fish easier than not being on a septic system. So trying to drive more white tablecloth restaurants can also drive more foot traffic to the stores and therefore create greater uh, economic benefit. Absolutely. No question about that. The more people that are out spending money on something they're enjoying, the better off the economy is going to be. I mean, it's as basic as it gets, but it seems like in Rhode Island sometimes we lose that, you know, there, there's now initiatives to try to expand um, activity downtown in Providence after dark at nighttime. Yes. But 
you know, that's, it's very obvious that there's a missing ingredient of human activity. So your position is that beef up infrastructure and that's going to at least do quite a bit to improve that. No, that's exactly right. And that's a lot of what we're looking at. And in the summit, we'll talk a lot about that. You, know, you look at the opportunity zones that have been identified in Rhode Island of trying to bring uh, investment in. Uh, also, you need basic infrastructure there to, to help drive that investment. Uh, you know, whether it's also on uh, Route 1 in North Kingstown of trying to bring that space back up. Uh, it's, you know, it suffered quite a bit when the, the Navy base shut down. But of course, now we've got 11,000 people working at Quonset that need right. housing and restaurants and stores. And how do we help develop that uh, as a community and look to move forward in the economy? fascinating do you ever buy properties like there's a huge on route one there's a some old restaurant for sale large property that you know it seems like it's about to become totally dilapidated this is right where routes one and one a meet is that something you'd pick up and kind of convert or try to massage or is it more throwing money behind existing good money well that's i mean that's not really how we operate so if somebody were to look at that building uh, what can we help them do? We can help close financing gaps, you know, working with commerce in terms of some of the programs they have. We've got uh, what's called commercial property assessed clean energy, which can help a building a building owner put in new heating uh, and air conditioning and ventilation, new lighting, solar panels. Uh, you know, if there's an issue from brownfields or asbestos in the building, we've got a brownfield fund that can help finance that removal or the the fixing up of the property and obviously also either driving uh, sewer drinking water to that building. Uh, We're also in the process of trying to develop a commercial septic system loan program that can bring the cost of that down to help commercial properties and nonprofits uh, uh, fix existing septic systems. Broadly speaking, what's the biggest challenge that the, the, the Rhode Island infrastructure bank is looking at right now, you know, is it, and from Westerly to Woonsocket, what's the, whether it's a specific project or if it's something just that's generally tough around here? Well, a lot of what we're working on is, uh, you know, I think in terms of next generation is really looking at resiliency and protecting infrastructure from severe weather events. You know, we've, we've invested, uh, uh, $20 million in the uh, Warren Wastewater Treatment Facility to harden that against uh, rising sea level and, and storm events. You know, we helped uh, Warwick finance the berm around their wastewater treatment facility, which is a classic picture from 2010 flooding. And that was riverine flooding uh, of that wastewater treatment facility being underwater. So that's a lot of what we're looking at. Of course, resiliency uh, uh, in protecting assets is a little more difficult from a funding point of view because it doesn't create revenue. It doesn't create fees uh, like a sewer system does or a drinking water system. So how do you pay that? But of course, if you invest a dollar in protection today, it saves you $6 down the road if there's an event that uh, that uh, damages the, those facilities. What about the landfill, the, the, the waste, uh, what the, heck's the resource recovery center, not the formerly known as the Johnson landfill when I was in elementary school, I guess. Um, that, and then also on Block Island, there's the infrastructure issue of trash that's kind of making its way through the side of the island in a way. Well, Just that's, yeah, land, I mean, there's landfills. the, uh, uh, we've been involved in uh, capping a lot of landfills and, and the, also the stormwater runoff that results from that. Uh, we are financing the, the <clears throat> repair of that uh, uh, landfill on Block Island that was causing that problem that was eroded from uh, storms. And so they've been, uh, working on fixing that. We've been providing the finance for that. 
So it's basically all the things that we need to get out of pre-Roman times as a society. <laughs> You're, the bank is, is, is making sure that that's funded, and also it's doing it in, in an organized way in terms of prioritizing projects. Is that yeah, fairly accurate? I mean, yeah, one of the biggest things that we've done over the last uh, three and a half years is we've reorganized ourselves from being program-centric because we had a couple of – we had really three programs. They were run independently. Um, and as our mandate was expanded in late 2015, uh, we realized that we had the same customers, predominantly municipalities. And we now have four or six programs that we can bring to municipalities. So we're out there engaging with cities and towns and other quasi-state agencies about what their needs are and how we can bring those programs together. Uh, you know, one of our biggest uh, drinking water customers didn't realize that we could finance dam repair, uh, uh, through our clean water program. They're one of our biggest customers in drinking water. They weren't aware that we had financing available for dams, and they've got some dams they need to work on. So that's a good example of how we're trying to bring financial solutions rather than just independent uh, uh, programs to, to bear. And it is about engaging with communities to think about what's their medium or near-term, medium, long-term infrastructure needs and how we might be able to combine our programs into that. Last question before we, I just want to kind of shift into your backstory and how you've arrived here. Um, There's been a a little bit of, I guess it's been pretty vocal now in terms of bike routes and the Department of Transportation's plans kind of now spreading out some of the the bike projects, bike route projects over a 10-year period. Um, is that a specific area that, that the bank, the infrastructure bank is funding in terms of converting existing roadways into bike lanes and, uh, you know, what else in terms of alternative transportation and public transportation are you looking at? Um, yeah, the, the bike lane, I mean, this gets back to one of your questions before of what, what do we do and how do we do it? Um, our sources of capital and our programs have limitations, so we can't just go out and do whatever we want. Right. Uh, so we do have some parameters within which we have to operate. While we can do municipal roads, um, bike lanes are a bit outside of that. Um, but again, that's part of what we're trying to do is figure out what are those needs that communities have and how should we be thinking about perhaps modifying our programs that we have to meet those needs rather than modifying the needs to meet our programs. So we're switching the way that we've been thinking and also switching the way that communities are thinking about, you know, what are their needs and how can we use our programs to help them meet their needs on a, on a low-cost basis because that's what we do. We deliver below-market finance to these pro- programs. Fascinating stuff. How did you become involved? Is this an appointed position or is this something that uh, you're, you're kind of yeah, around Yeah, you know, for? the... Uh, uh, the Infrastructure Bank has a board of directors. The governor uh, uh, points for those. The general treasurer uh, is the fifth member. Um, they were looking for an executive director three and a half years ago, and I uh, saw that advertisement and applied. Uh, I was a, a public sector banker for a long time on a global scale, uh, worked at a large global financial institution, and was looking to make a move to the other side of the table to the public sector. We're quasi-public. And this seemed like a really good uh, fit for my past skill and experience of working in the public sector and infrastructure. And and, uh, it's been a great move for me and uh, I think for the bank as well. That's great. Do you see Rhode Island coming from from a New York background? Do you see Rhode Island as um, an opportunity for 
development for improvement or do you see it as a situation that needs a certain amount of rescuing before you can realistically say let's take it to the next level well i think you know i think it's uh you know the the size of rhode island is both a uh, opportunity and a challenge sure is Uh, it's (laughs) an opportunity because we can do a lot very easily by bringing different things together it's obviously it's it's a bit of a challenge again because of its size but i think that you know, while the uh, recession was was tough on Rhode Island, I think we've made great strides uh, since then, and uh, it's really, uh, I think, a very rosy uh, future. And we're doing a lot of work, uh, not just the Infrastructure Bank, but a lot of the other uh, uh, agencies out there, and we're trying to work more closely together to bring a lot of this. And you know, we've worked very closely with the Department of Transportation to help them uh, manage uh, uh, stormwater, where we provide finance that puts projects together in the short term and uh, helps them address their uh, uh, their needs to manage that. We always hear first in, last out of a recession when it comes to Rhode Island. And now there's concern if you look at, I guess, the bond markets would be one indicator or just really anecdotal worrying and uh, perhaps hysteria. We may be heading towards another recession infrastructurally. Is Rhode Island prepared for that? And if so, would that allow us as a state to climb out of the thick of the recession, the teeth of it, if, if you will, um, faster and more aggressively than in the previous run that we had? Well, I think a lot of the work that's been done uh, you know, by the governor and the Commerce Department of bringing businesses in has been extremely positive. Uh, and those are businesses that seem to be stronger through a recessionary period. I think what we've also done in infrastructure is uh, we're well positioned and we continue to get a lot of finance. Uh, you know, our, our water programs are getting more money from the federal government every year, uh, which is a good thing. And so I think we're very set up uh, to weather any storm that might come our way, uh, perhaps better than we have in the past. I think I was in New York during the last recession. I remember I was working um, at the time. I was, my, I was in a band, so I was fully committed to that. And then to make money, that fun part of life as well, I was working as a temp at some at a hedge fund for a while, and then at a few different financial institutions, a temp executive assistant. And the recession hit, and that was the end of it. I never heard back on any of those jobs. Anyone I know who was working in those types of jobs, it was sort of like, now we'll, we'll use our iPhone now. That's how dramatic um, employment, I guess, changed, at least in that one sector from my perspective. Is that something that the infrastructure bank, whether it's recession-related or in general, is that something that, that is on your mind? Employment of full-time employees, part-time, temporary, even seasonal, is that is that an element of the work you do? Well, you know, by definition, a lot of our uh, our work is seasonal because construction zone in, in New England, right. you know, construction time <laughs> New England Florida. is not 12 months out of the year. Um, some of it is, um, you know, but... The infrastructure bank, its investments over the last 30 years have, you know, created or supported over 57,000 jobs. And that's a lot of, of what we're, we're trying to do is continuing not only to uh, stimulate cons- good construction jobs and, and those jobs that come from supporting the construction projects, but those projects we're doing are also supporting businesses uh, and even nonprofits that are hiring people that uh, continue to make it less expensive for them to operate their businesses. And, you know, we've saved uh, hundreds of, in just in the last few years, we've saved local communities hundreds of millions of dollars of interest expense and over $60 million in energy expenses. And that's money that can go back into 
funding other priorities, education, public safety, uh, recreation, other things in the community. So that's real money in the bank. And so I think that's one of the important things that we're doing is trying to bring that less expensive way of investing in infrastructure that's supporting a lot of other businesses and, and jobs. I'll have interviews, photos, and videos for you from the Rhode Island Infrastructure Summit on Thursday up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for me or The Pond, and I'll be back on Friday with a brand new episode. Until next time, I'm Bill Bartholomew. We'll talk soon.